You're listening to Modern Marketing, a podcast brought to you by Influicity. At Influicity, we build brand communities that drive revenue. Learn more at Influicity.com. On today's episode, Influicity CEO John David speaks with Megan Healy, VP of Marketing at Communications at Dig Insights. Megan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So why don't you share your first insight? Whew, my first insight. So I guess my first insight is that marketing to sort of senior B2B stakeholders can be a challenge. And we do a lot of in-person to do that. We find that that's the most effective way to build relationships, rapport, and sort of generate some buzz around our brand or what we can do as a brand. And when you say in-person, what does that actually look like? You're showing up at their door, you're going to events. What what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah. No, we're not showing up at anyone's door. So anyone who's a client can attest to the fact that we're not we're not showing up at your door, but we do essentially try to be where they are for learning opportunities. So we do a lot of conferences, we do some sort of digital events as well, to a lesser degree. Actually, we did some experimentation this year with some partners and didn't go exactly as we wanted it to. So the in-person conferences, any sort of like client appreciation sort of events like dinners or Q and A things like that panels. And then we're actually exploring the idea of doing our own event, which is no small feat. But we have a lot of clients that work out of our sort of a hub in Chicago. And we're thinking about about going down there and, and putting an event on. So yeah, that's really exciting. And what so on the on the sort of traditional event side, when I think of a conference, there's obviously people on stage that are speaking. There's yeah. a lobby where there's a whole bunch of booths and people standing at the booth. There's obviously sponsorships. Are there any specific tactics in that setting that work better than others? Yeah, absolutely. So I joined the my current company, Dig Insights. I joined three years ago now, and our first. I, I set up a handful of conferences that first year. And to be honest, I've never, I'd always come from sort of the SaaS background. So software, like digital channels predominantly. So I hadn't done a ton of conferences myself. It was a huge whirlwind, kind of figuring out what works and what doesn't. I would say getting on stage the first day is really, really important. Getting on stage full stop is really important. Some conferences depending on sort of the industry that you're in and who you're trying to target, some it's pay to play. So you absolutely have to pay to get on stage. And some it's just about being on top of submission deadlines to try and get your your sort of spokespeople um, or subject matter experts on stage. So we do a little bit of both in terms of pay to play and just doing a lot of sort of submissions and and case studies so that we can co-present with a client. It's a really good point that I just made sort of Subtly, but you should definitely try and present with a client unless you have some sort of groundbreaking thought leadership. And why why present with a client? Because it gives you more credibility? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, put yourself in the shoes of anyone. So say you are a marketer and you're going to a marketing conference. The first thing you notice is which brands are speaking. So you don't even necessarily know who the people are, but you'll be thinking to yourself like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Like Slack is presenting. I definitely need to go and see what someone from Slack has to say. Um, That's the first brand that popped to my mind. But we all think certain brands are very, very cool. 
So we're lucky enough at Dig, like our target audience, we're looking at enterprise level researchers, enterprise level companies rather, and researchers within those companies. And we work with some of the biggest in the world. So being able to get those people on stage and align our brand with how smart they are and how innovative those brands themselves are, I think is really powerful. That's a great hack. I mean, I love that because as you said, you get the, the halo effect of their logo, their expertise, and, and you're also bringing something to the conference that's interesting. And it's not just a service provider on stage, but it's the person who's paying for that service on stage. Yeah, absolutely. And then what about the traditional? So obviously getting on stage, first and foremost, that's the place to be. Is there value in kind of being one of the booths at a conference? Is that something that you do as well? We do. I would say it's sort of hit and miss. I think one sort of little nugget of insight that I didn't really think about is it's really nice if you're on stage to have a place to tell people to find you. And it's Mm -hmm. like a little thing, right? But I think for us, it almost becomes less about the foot traffic and just the random people walking around. And it becomes like, which stage are you on? How many people get a chance to be exposed to the work that you do and sort of that halo effect of the brand that you that you bring with you to present? And how do they know how to find you afterwards? Like physically, how do they know where you are? I think that's been an unlock for us. So there are certain conferences that we definitely do get a booth in, but I would say predominantly, if we can get a speaking session, we're happy to walk the floor. I think the speaking session for us is the most important. And then you mentioned a minute ago that the the digital or virtual events didn't go quite as planned. So what did you try there and why didn't that work? Um, I think it's all about why you're doing them. I think, you know, we all make mistakes. <laughs> we all make mistakes. I think my mistake with the digital events was kind of thinking that they would have the same impact as going to a physical event. And they definitely don't. And this year was definitely a year of experimentation for us. I think the takeaways for me are they can be great from a brand perspective. So getting your brand in front of the right decision makers or the right audience. So we partnered with a few different people in the insight space to do some webinars, do some panel events, but that's not necessarily going to turn into sort of an immediate ROI. That's the, I mean, I've, firm believer that it's worthwhile, but that's the push and pull of when you sit down with your CFO and you say, you know, we experimented with $200,000 in webinars with some partners. We don't necessarily have pipeline that we can directly correlate with those specific initiatives. I think that's where the challenge comes in. Were they worth it? Absolutely. Well, some of them weren't, but that's a whole nother story. But is that sort of initiative worth it? Definitely. It's just harder to measure. It's funny you say that. So one of our clients at Influicity is is a big bank. And we've done the kind of virtual events during COVID. We started and we sort of carried on. And when we put a lot of thought and planning into like a beautiful presentation webinar, those actually don't go as well as when we just do a live one or two or three guests kind of talking and people kind of drop in and watch that. That second one, which actually takes less work, performed better for us. So it was interesting to see that it's not always about how much preparation, it's about really who's the guest and what are you talking about? Yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually. And I do want to take a step back and say like our own webinars um, and panel events go really well, but for, again, for a different purpose. Like the, we measure the satisfaction or not satisfaction, the success of those initiatives based on like customer engagement or engagement with our existing audience or community. Whereas like the external webinars or panels, those are based on net new 
prospects and sort of how are we, how aware are they of us after doing something like that? Mm-hmm. But what you said is really interesting, like the Q&A versus webinar debate, because it is easier to put together a panel event or a Q&A event. We've done it a couple of times and they always draw a bigger crowd. I think those are about, they're almost like a quasi podcast. Like I think people just listen to them in the background. Whereas something like a webinar, so we're a research company, so we produce a lot of proprietary research. We often find that those bring in a smaller cohort of people, but they're much more engaged because the topic is very specific to their industry or sort of like their niche. So again, I'm like business leaders were saying there because I'm like, it's all, there's so much nuance. There's so much gray area of, you know, what works and what doesn't depending on what the goalposts are, but it's true. Yeah. And you just mentioned podcasts. So you're right. I mean, the event that I was referring to was actually turned into podcasts and, and, and they yeah. make great panel podcasts. So what, what's your take on podcasts as a, as a medium to, to reach your target customer? I actually did. So I ran a podcast for Dig for a year and a half and it's now being taken over by our amazing new chief revenue officer who's got a lot of podcast background as well. Definitely pro podcast. I think I would caution people to set one up if they're looking for any sort of like immediate ROI. It's a brand exercise. It's about building a network. It's about building affinity for your brand. And you also have... It's such a crowded space. You really have to have something compelling that you're offering, like the amount of marketing podcasts or, you know, we all know all of the the big guys who, who do their podcasts. So I think you do really have to have something special, whether that's the host is really interesting or the topic, ma- the subject matter is really interesting. But yeah, I'm a big podcast fan and I think they get a bad rap, but people love them. This podcast is brought to you by Influicity. Since 2015, we've been building brand communities that drive revenue. First, we did it through influencers. Then we added podcasts. Today, we work with world-class brands to build, optimize, and run breakthrough programs that create and capture demand. It's time to stop renting your influence and start owning it. Learn more at Influicity.com. The other thing is with the podcasts that we make, we find that they're great content engines. So it's like you have the podcast itself, 30-minute audio recording, cool, but then what are all the video clips you can chop up? Where are the TikToks? Where are the right. where, where are the LinkedIn posts? Where are the blog posts? So it's really about creating the podcast and then having 17 different pieces of content that you can create as a result. I mean, I'm probably not supposed to ask you questions, but please <laughs> do you do you find that those podcast clips work well on TikTok or on LinkedIn? Like how do you find that they that they fare? Because I'll go first. Like our experience has been they're not amazed. They don't, they don't translate amazingly well. Like we're trying to make the podcast interviews feel native to the channel. And that is, that's really the challenge for us. Uh, because I think some people are like, oh, it's another Zoom podcast or it's another Google Meet podcast or whatever it is. Do you guys find that those get a lot of engagement on your channels? So they, they didn't used to. So we've been at it for, you know, three and a half, four years now. So like for the first year, we kind of sucked like everybody else. And, and then we got really, yeah. really good at it. So yes. So, so the, the short answer is there's a whole lot of stuff you can do. And I would say 80% of it is a total waste and 20% of it is, is a game changer. So just a couple of quick ones, for example, 
transcribing a podcast and turning it into a blog and then optimizing it really, really strongly for SEO, we we see our clients getting tons of, of inbound leads because of a really compelling conversation they had in audio form that is now a blog that is just trending on on Google. So like so there, there's you know that's that's one offshoot and there's other offshoots where you don't even realize you're gonna have this third order effect because of of you know the podcast taking place. So that's number one. And the second thing is yes, short form clips do work very well, video and um, you know for TikTok, for Instagram and for LinkedIn. The the problem is when people will shop up the part that's not interesting because what they want to do is they want to say, yeah. oh, like, this four minute chunk was really informative. And it's like, yeah, but give me the 12 seconds that's going to make my thumb stop scrolling. And so you really have to find the compelling sound. Mm, it's a really good point. Yeah. Some good um, stuff I'm going to take back to the content team. <laughs> please. Yeah, absolutely. And then just, just to kind of wrap up that point, when you're thinking about like brand. So obviously like you can do, I sort of think of it like on the ground, hand-to-hand combat of like, okay, I'm going to shake hands and, and meet face-to-face. But then how do you think about, I, I sort of want them to know what DIG is, or like what kind of branding exercises are you doing, if any? Yeah, definitely. So I think um, my insight left a lot of context out. So there's an element of going to an event. The people who are at an event are at least within our target market, they're typically curious, interested in new ways of doing things. Like they're typically quite like, people don't take a day or two out of work if they're not at least open to the idea of learning something new. So I think we're reaching people where they are open. You can almost think of it like if someone's Googling something and your paid search ad comes up or your paid search term comes up rather. It's, that's kind of where we're meeting them at conferences. So that's why it works well from a conversion standpoint or to nurture existing relationships that we have with our target audience. I think that initiative does require us to do brand work on digital channels, through partners, to make people even remotely willing to take a chance on us. So we absolutely... We're talking about the hardest people to reach enterprise. We're like, oh yeah, we just want to reach the hardest people, enterprise marketers, essentially. So. I mean, anyone who's, who works in that space who's listening to this knows that it's pretty hard to say, hey, let's work with this firm based out of Toronto and Chicago. You've never heard of them. And they have some big clients, but there's not a lot of social proof. Like, people need to be able to say, this is why these people are worth working with. And a lot of that is just classic sort of like brand awareness advertising, creating some really compelling ad concepts, which is what we've got in the works for 2024, but then also getting our thought leadership out there. So I firmly believe that's a really good avenue for the podcast as well, just in terms of like what we think and and making that relevant to our audience. But um, yeah, 90% of the people that you're going after, 95% maybe, are not in the market for a new tool or they're not in the market for submitting a contact us form on your website, but making sure that you're addressing or getting to those people so that when they are ready, they think like, oh, I saw that really interesting article or I saw these people at a conference. And then they do get in touch. Like that's that's the goal. So the brand work piece is, is super important for us. 
Yeah, I've got this quirky term that I use called the rabbit hole theory. And basically, you have to let people go down a rabbit hole because once they do learn about you and maybe they see you at a conference and they get an email and, and they are that enterprise marketer that's impossible to get a hold of, at that point, they're going to go search Google, search LinkedIn, search whatever. And it's nice if they can go down a rabbit hole and find all this information on you because you've sure. done the work of putting out the webinars, the podcast, the, the whatever. And then, and then it, it really does legitimize you. And I think that's the, I think that's, a, I've never heard it phrased that way. I think that's super smart. I think that's the way of the world now too. Like, I think we all have to stop gating mediocre content and then treating those leads as if they are warm. <laughs> like <laughs> the amount of companies that I still see doing that of like, here's a generic report that I could give you for free, but I'm not going to, I want your email. And then having sales reach out to them as if that's as if that is a lead that's ready to speak to sales. Like that doesn't really make sense to me. Like I think it's it should be more like choose your own adventure of everything is out there, people can access it, go down a rabbit hole, as you said, and then get in touch with you when they're actually ready to to talk. I think we've all been there. There's nothing more irritating than having a salesperson say to you. You know, I'm a B2B marketer, as are you. We all know like the endless emails that you get <laughs> at any moment. I got, I got 15 as we were talking just now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and none of us really want that. I think the, the way that the world is going, it should just be about everything's available to you. You can go down those rabbit holes and you can get in touch when you're ready. 100%. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you one last kind of just a personal observation there is people will say like, how do you know if this all this content is working? And I say, where are your leads? Like, how do people actually get in touch with you? And the answer usually, at least for us these days, is like, okay, well, we'll get DMs on LinkedIn or someone's like messaging or calling a number that we you know is on our website. The reality is a lot of people aren't coming in through the contact form because when they're ready to buy, they will find you. They will seek you out where, where they feel comfortable and they'll find you. And that's how you know they, they kind of probably found you in some unconventional way, not because, as yeah. you said... You, you had a piece of content that was gated, so they put their email in. That, that, that's not a buying signal. Yeah. I mean, we're deep, deep into Q4 right now. I'm sure a lot of people have been doing their sort of 2023 reviews with their CFO or their controller. And it's the endless game of like, how many leads did LinkedIn drive? How many leads did? And it's like, yeah, I mean, technically we sort we sourced this much pipeline from LinkedIn, but I think this other two mil is also from LinkedIn. Do you know what I mean? There's like right. so much, that's a whole other conversation, but yeah. there's so much of a challenge in terms of attribution, I think. And then if the leads are coming through and the opportunities are great, then no one will question you. So just make sure your content's great. <laughs> every every strategy works as long, or every strategy is great as long as the, the, the sales are As long are as it's working. Yeah. yeah. Well, Megan, thank you so much for joining today. This was super interesting. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for inviting me and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Modern Marketing. This podcast is brought to you by Influicity, empowering marketers to build customer communities that drive revenue. We create massive demand via social, influencer, content, paid media, and of course, podcast. Learn more at Influicity.com.